0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of IRI Growth Insights. Today, I'm talking with my colleague, Chris Dubois, Senior Vice President of the Protein Practice here at IRI. And we're going to be talking about retaining confident cooks. Um, We have a lot more people in the kitchen. Many of them are newly confident. Um, So let's talk a little bit, Chris, about some of the lessons from 2020 and some of the opportunities um, for 2021. So welcome.
1: It's great to be here, Joan, and thanks for having me. It's, sure. To talk so to you again.
0: As, the, as the title of this episode uh, would indicate, um, 2020, as a grim of a year as it was, was really great for the kitchen. The kitchen saw a lot more activity um, this past year as so many people found their way to that room of the house. Um, they invested heavily in cooking accoutrement and things like that. Um, and of course, the grocery store was there to serve them. So let's talk a little bit about what happened and how we're ending out the year.
1: Yeah, 2020 was, it was a landmark year in a lot of ways. We, we saw tremendous sales increases all the way across most food departments in the supermarket. And I know over the last nine months, we've shared a lot of those statistics and talked about those trends. But if I think about, you know, some of the things that really matter inside 2020, you kind of hit on one of those points. Is it's less about the big sales increases than the fact that we that a lot of America's households have transformed their cooking capabilities. Um, one of the things that that gets tracked is uh, sales of new utensils, new appliances, and those have all just skyrocketed this year, up hundreds of percent in many cases. So what people have found. When we're all trapped in our houses, I mean, sometimes literally trapped, is the kitchens. You know, needed some new fry pans. They needed some different spatulas or cooking um, tools. And then, in many cases, a lot of new appliances became um, a center point of the kitchen. You know, air fryers uh, and you know, pizza ovens, things like that, that were um, not really around five years ago. New technologies, and people are becoming very used, comfortable using them. Um, one, one funny thing is just over the last 20 years, I've spent a lot of time with industry associations, you know, working with retailers and, and CPG companies. And then one of the questions we'd always have is, how do you get people to cook more at home? And how do you get them to really be educated um, about cooking? And there was a lot of energy put into that, a lot of whiteboards, and a lot of marketing campaigns. And what we found is it took it took a pandemic to make it happen.
0: Which no one no one that was that not on anyone's whiteboard, Chris.
1: <laughs> no, that was not on any list that I ever saw. And if I think back through all those whiteboarding sessions with the different associations, one of the things that kind of stands out is even though we didn't get the answer right, you know, around the pandemic, what happened was there had been there's been a lot of work and marketing behind helping consumers create those kind of meals. So the infrastructure has been set up about recipe development about the integration of recipes, about um, how to cook and, um, and different way and different tex- techniques of connecting with consumers, whether that's on YouTube and videos or creating new characters. You know, some associations have actually done that to help people cook meat better.
0: So and if, that's kind of interesting right there because we do have a combination of people, you know, boomers, so people my age who already had a lot of confidence Mm-hmm. But they're looking for inspiration and then a lot of young cooks who really needed to know some of those basics some of those step-by-steps like how do I use the frying pan and the spatula kind of thing so tell us about how how what some of these organizations did because um to your point you know you mentioned YouTube what does that look like are there a lot of um virtual classes and things basics
1: yeah there are a lot of virtual classes and yeah the National Cattlemen's Association has put together a, a, a very strong pers- uh, help, helping series on um, how to cook beef better. So, so everything about recipes and, and asking um, more about and, and, and helping to share information about how to cook different beef cuts. So if you think of why did beef have such a great year, part of it is, you know, consumers felt comfortable trying new cuts. And you could see it in terms of sales across the store. Um, same thing goes for pork, That there's been a lot of progress in terms of some of the, um, in fact, pork had a tremendous year. If I think about it, that's, that's a protein that's been flat for so many years and it was actually a star performer in the meat case. Um, is and, some of and that, what is
0: some of those, those good numbers for things like, you know, different cuts of beef, pork, um, Turkey, is it because of some of the, um, supply constrictions, um, you know, where I, I think you had mentioned to me last time on our podcast that people had their, their similar like go to cuts of meat. Um, but when they're not available, you know, maybe you're a little you're incentivized to try something else.
1: Yeah, I think back in May and June, people likely had had to switch. In other words, they probably didn't find maybe all of the cuts that they'd wanted to inside the store. So they probably had to switch. Um, and in some cases, there were um, recipe. Inspired changes as well. So if I if I think back to um, ground pork, which is you know an unseasoned um, new kind of cut, it's it's fairly small in the meat case, but it's been a very fast grower. And one of the things that really kind of kicked it off were a lot of recipes around keto um, that picked up an awful lot of traffic on uh, on video and and online. And as people adopted different diets or people on those diets hit those recipes, you could see a lot of those hits translate back indirectly to sales. And so all of a sudden you say, well, why, why, how did this cut become so popular? Um, part of it might've been a little bit of scarcity, but part of it might've just been the recipe connections that people are now looking for and then feeling confident in turning into um, an Asian or Latin American themed um, dinner.
0: Do you anticipate some of those, um, you know, those fast-growing cuts or those fast-growing, like, subcategories kind of keeping, maintaining that momentum?
1: Yeah, to me, this will be a multi-year trend. You know, if I look back five years ago, and even if you look back over the last 20, for example, the American chicken industry was built off of boneless, skinless chicken breast. Yeah, you know, if, if for the most part, Americans ate an awful lot of chicken breast and not 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 as much of the rest of the chicken, and those were exports. To be very honest, mm-hmm. and you know, and it's not that that's good or bad. It just means our big uh, poultry companies were built on you know growing chickens that could produce chicken breasts that were you know lean and tender and juicy. But what we've seen in the last you know three to five years, and particularly in the last three is the growth of dark meat. You know, Boneless thighs have been a huge grower, You know, typically double digits every year. You think, like, well, where did this come from? Well, one, it's a new technology to be able to do boneless thighs. And then two, the flavors, um, and that have been picked up by recipes all, all across the US and many different um, publications. So you can see bone, uh, recipes for boneless thighs out there. And then We also find that that appeal hits different groups. So millennials in particular um, will buy more of it. And you can see different um, ethnic groups over index in those areas too. In fact, some of the faster growing ones. So the makeup of demographics changes. Um, So the chicken industry to me is probably one of the biggest, um, biggest examples and probably best examples of like, we're just honestly eating different parts of the chicken than we were five, 10 years ago, which is, yeah you know, pretty amazing when you think about do things really change?
0: so i have a, I have a question on that because you know along with these increasing baskets um, at the grocery store, people are um, you know one of the channels that has won out during the pandemic has been e-commerce. But I find e-commerce you know still has um, what I would consider some speed bumps or some some barriers um, and part of that is searchability. So, how has the industry responded? You know, the meat industry responded to being um available or to being visible when people go looking for these interesting cuts and adding them to the basket? Because I still think fresh is fresh is a challenge.
1: Yeah, for the last, I'd say the last five years, we've been saying e-commerce would be growing very fast. And, and for the most part, we've been right all the way through. But what's what we've always had to, what I've always had to apologize for is fresh foods isn't growing as fast. Like it, it's growing, it's just not as fast. But this was the year it got there. In other words, it grew faster than um, e commerce in total. So what I think we found is not only did people get behind e commerce in a big way, um, but fresh foods became a big part of the package. And right now, if you kind of look, if you step back one year, and you were projecting out where e-commerce would be in 2025, the penetration and the sales rates are exactly where they are here, right at the end of 2020. In other words, we've done about four years worth of e-commerce growth in one year.
0: Yeah. There was, Um, um, we did a a C-suite conversation with Mark Klaus, the CEO of Campbell soup. And the way he put it is um, it's like, someone put a foot in the back of e-commerce and pushed it forward four years. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the, what, what, yeah, so it, it if I go back six months ago, we were amazed at how fast it was accelerating off of that base. But what's become clear to me is the companies that are going to win next year and in the next three years are the ones that are really gonna overinvest in 21. In other words, the lesson from this year is we are now in 2025. So if you're thinking about where your offline or online invest or e-commerce investments are going. The companies that be choose to ramp up the investments to mimic like it's 2025 are going to be more successful. That means more spending to connect to consumers digitally. Because you hit a great point, Joan. Searchability and and just using a lot of the e-commerce tools from different retailers—it's hard. You know, if you want to order a sandwich, honestly, good luck. If you want to find certain parts, not to be cynical about it but it can be really hard to find the product that you're looking for much less compare um, the prices of items all the way across so what we find is um loyalty in e-commerce is greater than loyalty in the store oh. for the same item or the wow. same
0: category but so yeah, their brands are all, so much more difficult because like yeah. just saying you know lunch for example you you type in lunch and you get lunchables you don't get meal solutions
1: yeah or if you want to find lunch meat like
0: Mm
1: -hmm. that's not a great word to use typically it's hard to find you know because you'll come up with 35 different things that are all very different and probably not what you're looking for Um, so what we're finding now is because searchability still is hard loyalty is a lot greater in e-commerce simply because instacart and um, other providers make it so easy to buy what you bought before
0: is it because they, well, I, I know that Instacart said, like, if you, you know, kind of, if you've made, like, 10 orders, um, almost half of that or a good portion of that is going to be just um, replenishing. But it, could it also be because they've got their personal shoppers who you're now starting to build a, a connection with?
1: There is a lot of trust in that side, and it... Um, And also some of it too, just kind of comes to to the fact that Instacart and some of these other retailers will, you know, really encourage you to buy what you bought before. In other words, it's so much easier to buy what you bought before than go out and search to find, let me go find the cheapest or let me go find this. It just takes extra work doing it. Not that you can't get there. It just makes it hard. So if I'm a branded manufacturer in the meat side, it becomes really important that um, consumers see your brand, so that ability to switch um, from private label to um, to branded isn't as simple in bricks and mortar, where your packages are side by side, and people might be reminded when they're sitting in the meat case and looking, "Oh yeah, I should buy this chicken brand, not, not private label, or vice versa." Online, you don't get that kind of comparison. You don't get that final look, and that's that's the the importance of that marketing. Um, or digital partnerships with retailers that'll make a big difference. And that's why I think 20, uh, 2021 and 2022 are going to be big shakeout years because so the, the companies that invest in the e-commerce capabilities, and especially on the marketing side, one-to-one with consumers, will really outperform, not in, not in a small way, but in a very big way in terms of where the growth is.
0: You know, um this kind of brings up another like related topic and that is going back to inspiration, you know, because, um, so many people are looking for, um, inspiration, something a little bit new and e-commerce, you know, there's another element to e-commerce, um, the shoppable recipes that, um, you know, you can add the ingredient right to your shopping list and stuff. Can you point to some, um, Successes there of you know with with that with those tie-ins for particular brands or retail.
1: Yeah, it becomes just incredibly important. If I go back even just a couple of years ago, so many recipes were online, but it was very hard to get that into uh, a consumer's basket. In other words, you had to trust that that consumer would print off the recipe or they would remember it and write it down, and then find yeah or maybe type it into their phone so they could take it to the store now in some cases these sites are very simple it's if you like that recipe you can click and it will set you up right to a walmart you're it knows where you live because it can find your location and it can put you right into your local walmart and set up your e-commerce basket
0: or any i mean we did a or um, any other yeah we did a uh, podcast actually with chicory um, that's very involved. And and even when I went and looked online, it was the closest grocery store to me, you know, which is just a little over a mile away. So yeah, that's really, that's a game changer, isn't it? It
1: makes it so easy to say, I want that recipe and I love, you yeah, let me buy it. And
0: particularly for, for ingredients that you're not familiar with, you know, that it's like, oh, good. I don't have to figure out where this is in the store. Someone's, you know, it's it's already on my list. They're going to point yeah. me in the right direction.
1: Yeah, and the other thing too on inspiration is you know the one thing I've noticed is a lot of consumers, at least through our some of the research we're doing, as well as um, some of the manufacturers I work with, more and more are using voice activation, to be able to take notes and include items on their list. So as they go through um, the week, they can add an item saying, "Remember," yeah, you know, whether it's Alexa, Google, whatever else that is people are using it more and more and having comfort and just keeping lists throughout the week as a remembrance to include that into a list. So some of those inspirations can happen a little bit more organically now instead of trying to write something down, find out where the note was, maybe it was left by the phone and yeah, the shopper in the household didn't see the note, and, you know, we missed it. So the old days of trying to get those things in are different. So I think that an ability to capture inspiration, whether it's a marketing inspiration or whether it's recipes, you know, off of big sites, um, you know, to me, that's a big changer because this is a great avenue then for um, a lot of manufacturers to create uh, that ability to go from inspiration right to, right to the sh- shopping basket.
0: So, okay. So let's, let's kind of, um, add one more element to this e-commerce before we kind of move on a little bit and that is how can brands be part of that retailer's platform like how can you kind of um invest to be more of the um the consideration set if you will I mean it, it I'm sure a lot of it has to do with searchability but what other ways can brands play in that space
1: I know a lot of retailers are looking very actively, yeah, you know, for partners and what they, well, if you look at a lot of the top food retailers, they know they don't have, um, that they all, they, they all know this is the wave of the future. Um, so there's, there's more advanced marketing programs that are longer lasting um, that they're looking for partners to invest with. Um, so it's just as, just as a manufacturer would invest in trade programs over the course of a year. You know, the digital platforms now are taking on a life of their own. It's not just, a, hey, by the way, can you include some digital ads for us? Or, hey, by the way, could you put something on our website? They're actually real marketing programs on their own, and it's a new new avenue for spend. So for some manufacturers, you're going to say, wow, this is over and above. Um, on the other hand, e-commerce is really the, the huge growth engine that really drove incremental growth last year. And it becomes the space where manufacturers can really separate from their competitors. Or if you're a number three brand, this is a chance to go take the number one position inside that retailer because you're going to take a disproportionate share of, um, of e-commerce. And yeah, you know, so to me, this is going to be the new avenue for brands to really shake up their market share in the next five years.
0: So in a nutshell, kind of, can you like kind of, talk about some of the winners and losers of the past year and really what those winners did right um, and where opportunities are for them.
1: So the, well uh, we learned an awful lot about new buyers this year and I think if I think back to March, April, and my teams in particular spent a lot of time with clients on trying to track new buyers and just understanding, well, how many new buyers are coming in and, and how big is this? And how many, you know, how many products do they buy? How many new uh, flavors do they try? We, we spent a lot of time looking through things like that. But as the year went on, what we found was that new buyers were very responsive to advertising. And as you kind of lined out you know, some of the different responsiveness. Um, what we found was if if a mark if a um, manufacturer targeted new buyers in a category within the first four weeks, they had a return on advertising spend that was ten times greater than if they had waited four months. So the difference between four weeks and four months is a ten x return on your advertising spend. Where in the world can you find those kind of results? So if you think about why did why did some companies do exceptionally well this summer, or this fall? It's because they went after new buyers in a time when maybe they were a little capacity constrained and thought, well, do I really have to advertise when everybody's going into the stores to buy my product? What they found was they bought that buyers bought their products a lot more than their competitors. And that's what I just call competitive separation, which is a really generic term for saying some brands really outperformed others. Whereas normally you don't see that kind of separation. And for example, if you go back to 2019, most of the top five to top 10 brands were in a very tight range. If you look at sales growth versus year ago, one brand might be you know, 3.8, another one might be 3.6, and both of them would say, wow, we had good years. And so that's a very, yeah, you know, maybe not a lot of differential, maybe a few others were in the plus two, plus one. So if you think, Wow, five brands within a few percentage points. Well, last this last year, we've seen brands, some brands grow 30, 40, 50%, and some grew 15. Now, the brand that grew 15 in that example, um, you'd say, wow, that's a pretty good year, right? 15%. Anybody likes 15%. Well, it's, it's good, but it's not 50 It's not, so that's competitive separation is exactly what's driving it. But if I look at what caused it, it's all about getting after the new buyers and helping people in the kitchen, you know, become confident cooks and, and driving the recipes, driving the marketing to drive the drive the adoption.
0: So retaining those new buyers is going to be hugely important um, moving into 2021. And I'd like to talk about some of the, the factors there. Um, I know like one thing, for example, because 2020 was such a weird year for holidays that, you know, people had permission almost to like start their own traditions and and do things a little bit differently. And to me, that's like a great way to get new buyers. But what, like, let's talk about some of the elements um, that we're going to see impacting purchase in 2021. Things like you know, lifestyle, are we going to be, you know, we're going to be a little more mobile, I would imagine, I would hope, um, than we were in 2020. Um, you know, people might be going back to school. Um, people will be going back to work, hopefully. Um, so let's talk about some of those, some, some of those um, factors.
1: Yeah, you bring up a couple of really good points. You know, if we all, most of us had to work through working from home at some point. Whether, you know, maybe some people are lucky enough. I just say lucky because I'm still at home and sort of miss being around the office. But there are some people who are in the office off and on. Um, but what we're going to find next year is even if we, we see people becoming more mobile again and be able to go back to work, go out to eat, you're going to see a, probably a 3x increase over 2019. In other words, there are three times more people slash days working at home than there had been in 2019. And that's a really big deal. You know, so if I go back to what we were talking about in May and June, it's like, wow, everybody's working from home. Well, it's not so much that it's neat, but what it sets up are brand new need states, brand new opportunities. So what does a work from home breakfast look like? Does it have to be the same old thing or do you create something different, whether it's a different kind of you know, different shaped breakfast meat to fit into an English muffin, whether it's, you um, You know, something else that sparks uh, interest for uh, someone who's stuck at home working at home for lunch. You know, Panera is working awfully hard to figure out how to get food to the house. McDonald's and others are trying to figure out very hard to get food to the house. A lot of restaurants want to. Um, For supermarkets and CPG companies, it's a tremendous opportunity and a new market that opens up. Yeah, the other one is I. We see people now. um, In the past, we used to talk about. 70% of people didn't know what they were going to cook for dinner that night if you quizzed them in the afternoon. And the answer now is, well, if you're at home, you've had probably three or four shots at that refrigerator. (laughs) At least if you're (laughs) me, you have. So you you know what's in the fridge.
0: (laughs) Plus, I know we're still shopping for up to two weeks at a time. You know, we're still going for bigger baskets, right?
1: Yeah, so if someone's working at home, they have a little bit of time to prepare for dinner and get mentally prepared for it. So... If you think back to the fact that people are much more confident in the kitchen, they've restocked the kitchens with items. Now is the time to re-energize around recipes and and communicate to people in a different way because they might have a few more minutes to prepare for dinner. And that means maybe dinner preparations, half an hour, not 15 minutes.
0: Right. And find the, um, you know, find those ways to keep them them inspired um, and make it easy for them to try new things. Um, because you even said you told me that people have kind of a repertoire of like seven to twelve recipes, which just boggles my mind. That doesn't seem possible. That seems tiny. Maybe it's because I'm one of those old hands in the kitchen. but what?
1: Yeah, I mean there can be little differences in maybe a sauce or something like that. but if you kind of study what people and and have people write down what they eat each, yeah, every month, you see a a basic cycle. Like maybe you'll have pasta, maybe it's marinara and marinara sauce, maybe another week it's four cheese. Like Just because you uncorked another bottle of um, spaghetti sauce doesn't make it that much different. Um, So when you look at it from a repetition side, people tend to be very comfortable um, with, with certain recipes, different flavor combinations. Um, the other side is people tend to have the same weekly routines. In other words, Saturday and Sunday tend to be very planned meals. You know, people think hard about it. They know who's going to be there. But Monday is a national leftover day. If you kind of look through most people's dinner plans, a lot of them are leftovers from the weekend one way or another. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday tend to be um, shorter shorter prep meals almost always. Um, in fact, Wednesday will have the least and Thursday is the most unplanned day of the year. If you look through everything, people are usually a little exhausted by Thursday in a week. And, you know, that's a little bit more for grabs. So if you're trying to get someone to stop by a restaurant on a Thursday on the way home, that's the right day. Um, so there's a routine to life that.
0: So that actually leads me into talking about like what comes next, because there is a lot of fatigue. I do, I predict that, Um, more fresh prepared is going to come back to grocery retail. I think that, you know, more of those like restaurants within the store are going to kind of make a comeback, but um, let's face it, we are going to be looking for more mobility. So what does this do as the dollar shifts, maybe back to food service? Um, How are we going to retain our share of the food dollar?
1: I think that's, to me, that's probably the biggest opportunity here for CPG manufacturers and supermarket retailers over the next five years. And everybody in this industry has been given a gift. And the gift is billions and billions of dollars that have come in. Now, and you're right, Joan, everybody's going to want to go to you at the moment. If everybody got a vaccine tomorrow and you know we were all safe and nobody was going to get sick, I think the whole world would go out to eat and probably travel and do all that. But once we get through that explosion, the question becomes, will we go back to really going out to eat as much as we had? um, I think every forecast I'm seeing says supermarkets are going to retain about 50, 51 to 50% of the dollars versus if you go back to 2019, they were getting about 47 to 46 cents out of the dollar. Mm -hmm. So the mere fact that it's back to a, call it a 50-50 game is tremendous. That means more dollars are going to be retained. So this is all about helping people through those new need states. If more people are working from home, because that's just how the world changed, you know, not so much the pandemic, but just the world changed, then there's more cooking to be done at home.
0: You know, and I would add too, that frankly, you get more for your dollar spent at home than you do when you when you eat out and or when you dine out. And I think that um, as people kind of come out of this, one of the things they're going to appreciate is how much more of a bang for their buck they've gotten from cooking at home. You know, not only has it been, hey, this isn't as bad as I thought. I kind of like, I, I like taking ownership of something that I prepared um, and the pride that you get out of that. Um, so it's interesting. It it will be interesting. I'm with you, Chris. I think that more of the food dollar will stay at home, but um, man, brands and retailers are going to have to work awfully hard to keep me um, inspired and maybe give yeah. me a little bit of that uh, shortcut every once in a while. Um, so yeah.
1: Yeah. No, and inspired is a great word because I think that's, that's part of the key as well as, you know, we've got people who are pretty much exhausted of just being at home. I mean, we're all tired of our, the same old clothes and the same, same small, you know, same small areas. So everybody's going to be looking to get out. And it's whoever wins that, in, in, whoever can inspire people the most um, will likely do great, you know, great things. And that's, that's part of it. That's marketing at its core.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And there's so many, to your point, you started out by talking about, you know, targeted, targeted marketing and um, knowing who you're going after and some of these shoppable recipes. So there's more opportunity there um, to kind of connect with these shoppers too, right?
1: Yeah, there's so much value in knowing exactly who's buying your product and being able to deliver those ads one-to-one with those people. And that technology is there. I mean, it's, this isn't feature, it's not anything else. It's what people do today. And that ability to turn that into a process, to make it just part of how you do business, saying when you have new buyers, we're going to go target them within the first four weeks. Why do we do that? Because it pays off in really big, um, big amounts for us. So that whole cycle of, of marketing, I think, is going to really become a lot more radical than we're gonna go do a few big campaigns this summer and, and hope for the best.
0: Excellent. All right, so as we as we kind of wrap up, I wanna recap a couple of the things that you um, talked about and that is that a lot of the um, accessibility or the people's experimentation, maybe with some of these new cuts of meat is really gonna become a multi-year trend. You know, when we show up at the meat case, we're gonna have more of these interesting varieties um, than we had you know just a couple years ago. and e ecom is a huge opportunity here. Um, as you said, you know we're already in year 2025 by the growth trajectory that we had coming into the coming into 2020. So it's really important for retailers and brands to connect with consumers um, digitally and through e-commerce um, everything from like word search, voice activation, um, those searchable recipes that we talked about. And to do whatever, um, you know, what use whatever marketing strategies are possible to retain so many of those new buyers that have come into this category, um, with targeted advertising, and again, um, you know, going to where they are with the information that they need, when they need it most. So With that, Chris, I want to thank you for your time, and um, here's to 2021. I mean, I know we can't wait to get out of 2020, so, you know, happy 2021.
1: Oh, definitely raising a glass to that one.
0: Thank you for listening. Please become a subscriber and let us know what you want to learn more about. We'll serve it up in a future IRI Growth Insights episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to review IRI Growth Insights. Also, visit us on the web at iriworldwide.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.